0: if you ever wanted to start your own podcast, if you ever had a thought in your head and you just felt the entire world needed an opportunity to hear your thoughts and all that kind of great stuff? Well, if so, let me tell you a little bit about Anchor Podcasting. It is the easiest platform I have found to make a podcast. They have editing tools, episode creation tools, there's even a green room function. Check it all out. On top of that, they even distribute the whole thing for you for free. The entire thing is free. You can get onto apple podcast you can get onto spotify podcast which are you know the two that i find get the most traction and then you get stitcher and all kinds of other stuff black box what box and all the other boxes that i'm not familiar with if you are interested in making your own podcast right now download the anchor app or go to anchor fm to get started
1: Welcome back to the Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. I'm your host, OJ. In today's episode, Keithy chats with singer-songwriter Emily Jane White. Her new record, Aluvion, is out now and can be found on her band camp.
0: Ghost Cult Magazine welcomes in artist and vocalist Emily Jane White. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well. Thanks. I'm really happy to be here. Um, yeah, I'm.
0: I'm thanks so for glad having me. Yeah, I'm so glad we finally got together. Um,
1: yeah, we've been
0: we've been working on this, your publicist and I, and I'm grateful. Uh, we are big fans of your new album, Alluvion, which just came out uh, recently. And you know you're on tour right now in Europe, so congratulations on the world opening up enough for you to get out and do what you love. Uh, how's that been? You, uh, as I love to say, the singer yells into a stick on stage and so <laughs> at people. <laughs> so how's that feeling for you? Are you feeling safe and comfortable? Are you nervous? How's that going?
1: Uh, initially I was pretty nervous just cause I hadn't played a show in two years. Uh, I had done like, you know, a couple live streams, uh, in the beginning of the pandemic. And that was it. I, we basically flew right when mask mandates were being lifted in a whole bunch of different places, California, and then also some European countries where we we're going to be. So I didn't really know how that was going to go. I, uh, was like, I'm going to be wearing my N95 everywhere. And that has happened some, but actually we haven't been wearing masks that much because nobody else is wearing masks that much. And I've been super careful these last two years, as I'm sure you've witnessed a lot of people in the Bay Area, very careful. So yeah, I mean, I had some anxieties about it and uh, it took some acclimating to like transitioning into wearing a mask everywhere I went to then taking an airplane and going on tour and not wearing a mask. (laughs) So it's kind of weird for your brain or for one's brain to process all that information of the last two years of being afraid and then being like, it's okay. You don't need to be afraid anymore, which is not really real, but I, you know, anyway, it's a lot to contend with. I'm sure everybody can relate. Um, Right.
0: Right. And I know that, I know that everybody just in general, universally, we're all fatigued. You know, no one saw this coming uh, except, you know, virologists, scientists, the CDC, Uh, but no one saw it coming at this scale. And I still don't feel like it's over. Uh, I also feel like it's a false sense of security. I'm trying to be positive. We have been very fortunate. I also am a resident of the Bay Area. We have gotten Mm. a lot of freedom and opening because we were first, one of the first to get the vaccine. We were one of the first to get the booster. And I have been very, just count my lucky stars that I've gone to so many shows and been out with friends, but also afterwards always filled with panic. And maybe I'm, you know, that's just my personality. I have anxiety issues, but yeah i don't want to get i don't want to get this thing um yeah totally yeah yeah i left new york to come to california because i wanted to get away from so many people who were not caring at all during the height of the worst of the pandemic it was very stressful so i was like oh yeah i hear you northern california the dream is happening so here we are (laughs) i stumble upon this you know this incredible album of yours and your body of work and what a timely record for such a tumultuous time in the world.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, I I just um, had an interview right before this, actually. And so I've been sort of diving into the talking about kind of the heaviness of of the topics that I write about in my work and have for the last 14, 15 years. Um, Well, I guess more than that. But um, yeah, I mean, I've always been drawn to talking about what's current and for me and what i'm sensed and felt and observed in the world and what i feel is important and a lot of those things are uh come with some heaviness this album's about grief but also like the many different facets of grief collective grief uh you know personal grief political grief anything under the sun i mean it's uh, I, I mean, I wanted to talk mainly about, you know, not only a, a felt sense of all different kinds of grief on a personal level, but also climate change, people having a lot of thing that has a lot of feelings that have now been coined as eco grief or like eco melancholia. And I felt like during the pandemic, a lot of that was rising to the surface for so many people on a personal level and also a collective level. Plus, we all lived through. The chaos of the election that went down during the pandemic. Yeah, there was just a lot to talk about. I just lots,
0: lots to <laughs> unpack there. Uh, I was going yeah. to say uh, I did get uh, obviously that thread of things. It, it's a very personal record, but at least it it touched me in a broader way also. And uh, you know we can talk about that stuff. But before we do, I always yes. like to start with the comic book origin, superhero origin page one, if you were, if you were telling your story in brief, but how you came to, you know, become an artist and how you got here, I would love to share it with our audience.
1: Yeah. Um, I started playing piano and guitar when I was, well, piano first when I was five and then I, uh, took some lessons. I hated reading music. I hated playing out of a book. So I quit and, (laughs) and, um, And then my dad taught me how to play zombie by the cranberries, uh, when I was like 12 and I was like, he's like, Oh, that's that's the easiest song in the world to figure out. And it kind of blew my mind that he could teach me how to play that song by listening, just listening to it. Then he taught me the chords and I was like, well, that's cool. I now know how to play a song in a matter of 30 minutes. Um, then I ended up doing some more piano later on with a woman who did, uh, she taught piano, but she also taught art therapy. Um, and she was like, you know, I only teach my students what they want to learn. I don't teach out of a book. I don't, you know, what do you want to do here? And that's when I started exploring more like improv, just a little bit of improv technique and stuff. And that, that really kind of launched me more into songwriting. I grew up in a really small town Uh, I grew up in the town of Fort Bragg, Fort Bragg, Mendocino. It's like four hours North on the coast of California, four hours North of San Francisco on the coast. Uh, so, and it was the nineties and I didn't have a lot of access to music other than the stuff that was like presented in Rolling Stone magazine or on MTV. So I didn't know about a lot of bands other than stuff that was being basically aired by a music video. So I got really into like Tori Amos. She's probably one of my biggest teenage inspirations. But, you know, I mean, I was also, it being the 90s, there was plenty of, you know, Nine Inch Nails in there. and L7, I was into L7. Uh, And, you know, a variety of other stuff that was coming out during that time. But, you know, it was just like pre-internet days I just didn't have access to like all the stuff that you can just have access to at the drop of a hat, like at all. So my musical world was limited to maybe the stuff that my parents listened to. My dad wasn't really into, he collected a lot of vinyl up until probably about like 1970. And then he just started listening to classical music after that. But I had my dad's record collection, which was cool. And then when I went to college, it was just like, then there were record stores and, you know, different... DIY underground subgenres and stuff. So I started checking out a whole bunch of other kinds of music and um, played in a couple bands. I played electric guitar and then I played keyboard in another band. And then I started writing my own songs and I never really thought much of it. I did do some songwriting in high school. I had to do a 200 hour senior project because I went to this alternative high school and you had to focus on one thing that you were interested in pursuing. So I actually did piano and songwriting. Um, and I performed at the end of that. But then, you know, I just never really I thought, oh, I'm gonna go to college and figure out what I really want to do. And it was actually in my undergrad that I ended up spending a lot of time going to shows, like had tons of friends that were in all different kinds of bands. And it was really the music scene there that left a huge imprint on me that like, hey, if you just want if there's something you wanted to do, you just do it. And I started writing songs and people really liked them. And I had a little band called the diamond star halos. It was my friend, Jillian played drums and my friend Brooke sang with me. And, you know, I wrote all the songs and people love that. And then my friend Brooke got pregnant and then I know Jillian, Jillian moved out of, we were away from each other for a little while. So I thought, well, i you know, I'm pretty serious about my songwriting. So I'm going to, continue on under my own name like even if it's just a hobby or even if it's just a side project or whatever so that's what i did and i made my first record in 2000 i'd say i recorded it probably 2006 and it came out in 2007
0: all right yeah nice. yeah that's a, that's quite a tale and uh i was gonna it's funny that you mentioned uh Tori Amos. i had some other artists in mind uh Amanda Palmer came to mind uh oh. and Jewel and I mean that as a compliment I've been binging some Jewel recently because there was a really big expose about her and uh-huh. uh, kind of reminded me of how great she was aside from the singles and the pop stuff that people focused on and um the article is uh an eye opener. She was treated very badly by the industry and even her management and label did not support her fully. Um, Even when she was the biggest at her zenith as a star, they still were not treating her well, which is, you know, very endemic of the whole industry. Doesn't make it okay. Just she's sharing her story now and uh, really Mm -hmm. terrible stuff. She walked out of interviews that were poorly arranged and not appropriate for her and all kinds of stuff. So but I'm yeah not I got surprised. I, yeah, not surprised. Yeah. But we're going to hear yeah. probably a lot of those stories. And totally. uh, but yeah, Tori is wonderful, and big fan and I think Little Earthquakes just had an anniversary if I'm not mistaken. Uh which is crazy to me. <laughs> like life goes by. Your adult life just goes by in an instant and I remember, yeah. I
1: remember
0: <laughs> when that album came out and she did a record signing in New York and I was like, "Oh, wow." And now it's yeah. many decades later. But you know, uh every artist takes time to develop and find that initial spark. So it's cool that you shared your story about that. And, you know, a lot of us got mu- music from MTV or the radio, or you know, our record collections, our parents' records. It just definitely has to shape you or, or make you run away <laughs> in the other dimension. Yeah. In some cases, I think about the poor kids who had like, you know, Pat Boone and, <laughs> and had to run away to something else. So,
1: it Well, and it's also just pretty wild to reflect on a time where it was like musical like the ability to discover something was so limited because that's just not a reality today whatsoever with the internet and so you're only exposed to a few things and it's just interesting to me that I was like okay I look back there are certain artists that I still like today some of whom don't resonate anymore um but I was only really exposed to what was on MTV at the time and maybe on a couple of like local radio stations. And there's something kind of nice about that. Like you get to really just kind of discover things, uh, in a slower pace, I guess. Um, and I kind of miss that time of life moving a little bit at a little bit of a slower pace. So it feels like things are just move so quickly now and are very chaotic. Um, and I mean, for me, it's like, I kind of need to retreat and deprive myself of certain stimuli in order to, to write. So growing up in a more isolated area, I think benefited me as a more introverted person. But yeah, I just look back and think it's so funny that that, you know, there were like probably five people that influ- I could count the number of people on one hand that sort of influenced me in those initial stages. And then my experience of discovering music after that, when I went away to college and then even now is is so vastly different.
0: Right on. Yeah. Um, Technology is great until it isn't to end. <laughs> Agreed. I'm one of yeah. those. I'm also one of those people. I use technology to make a living and to talk to you over the airwaves to another country. But also at the same time, too much. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> just, just wild. And uh, and I and then the overload is is a real thing. Uh, That being said, it's it's funny that you mentioned or not funny, but interesting that you mentioned that you're uh, an introvert, because I feel like, if anything, the pandemic was like the introvert spinach to Popeye. Um, It really (laughs) I've talked to a bunch of artists who are like, I didn't have to pretend to go out and hang out with people. I stayed (laughs) home and wrote lyrics and music. I produced yeah. two albums in an EP or whatever. And I, and I I said all the time, I ran across a bunch of artists who felt like, oh, I can't work right now. The world is doing certain I don't know what the future looks like as an artist. There's no pathway or there is a pathway and I don't like it. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the live stream was a thing for a hot minute. It's not for everybody, especially if you're used to the give and take between an artist as a singer and a performer and you're performing your stories and your lyrics live. And, you know, you just can't get that feedback in an empty room with a camera. Um, So you're yelling into the void and it's not yelling back. So, but, but there were also positives, apparently, you know, you got to make music and work and you're used to self-reflective times, whether, you know, whatever came from it, we got this amazing album.
1: Yeah, it was for me, it was a little, I didn't necessarily feel deprived, um, I mean, I think sometimes also being, uh, somebody who leans toward the dark, (laughs) there can be some downsides to being (laughs) alone all the time. Um, or, you know, with my, my boyfriend all the time in our apartment, obviously everybody experienced some of that kind of claustrophobia, but for the most part, I was like, oh my God, I don't like, I have some time to like breathe and catch up on, uh, catch up on sleep, catch up on, you know, some work that I couldn't get to for a long time. It was kind of a mixed bag. It was like a very productive time that I got to catch up on a lot of stuff, Uh, time to just chill out. But then also I worked pretty hard during the pandemic as well. Um, So, yeah, I didn't have a problem with not going out for quite a while.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right I, I I think when we thought it was all gonna be just a few weeks as we were promised, it's yeah. like oh, you know, an extra vacation and it, and it has not been any kind of vacation and i'm I'm yeah. listening, like we're talking about the music business and our passions and things and I'm very sensitive to the fact that people lost people and lost yeah, their totally. you know, just lost their whole way of life and for Mm -hmm. this was devastating to a lot of people so you know of course i'm not downplaying that and again if anybody i hope you know everybody in your personal life as well and and nobody has suffered too badly or you personally i know again this album's about loss and so there are obviously some losses and then i was going to say at the same time there's this, this theme of politics that runs through everything. And you were living in the Bay area, you know, Bay area is the birthplace One of the birthplaces of radical politics mm-hmm. in the country, which I'm proud of and proud. It was one of the things that attracted me to this area. And, yeah. um, at the same time, we ju- we are still going through a terrible time of political unrest on many fronts and Oakland was front and center. And you also painted that into your album as well. Cause it's part of your, you know, what you're living through.
1: Yeah. I felt like it was really important to talk about what was going down. I mean, I love Oakland. I feel like it's been a really great place to be these past 12 years. I love being an artist in Oakland. Um, And what happened in the summer of 2020 was, you know, what was happening in Oakland with all the political uprising and everything was pretty amazing, devastating, horrific. And also it was a mark of pretty significant, uh, not only change, but there was a visionary aspect to like, wow, the pandemic kind of created the space for a political uprising like this to happen. And I remember when, um, the longshoremen's union had, there was a protest down at the docks. I don't know if you knew about that, but Angela Davis spoke and she said, never, this is unprecedented. This is an unprecedented time. And I would have never foreseen something like this ever happening in my lifetime. And I just thought, you know, she being somebody who's an Oakland resident and has lived in Oakland for a long time and has a history of, you know, uh, abolitionist politics, um, I I was there and watching. I I wasn't actually at that particular protest, but I did watch a live stream of it uh, in real time. And uh, I didn't go because I was supposed to go up and see my parents right after that, and I didn't want to get them COVID. So that was the reason. Otherwise, I would have been there. I was grateful I was able to watch it. A friend of mine filmed the whole thing, but I just thought like, wow, this is this is an incredible time, and It was something that I wanted to write about. I write a lot of my work has always had some political undercurrent. Um, I also think about writing about sad things and sorrow and painful experiences in and of itself has a political meaning. I, I wouldn't tout my work as being necessarily fostering political change. When you write a song and you put art out into the world, you just release it out into the world and it has a life of its own. But you know, it's something that I've always been called to do and, and drawn to do. And I, I've never been interested in really writing about non-heavy topics, I guess. So there yeah, I mean it was what was happening in Oakland at that time was really heavy and what was happening in the country and also around the world. People were really touched by by the movements that were happening in the US. And I also think it's really important to continue talking about what happened and what's happening now because things can get swept under the rug so easily, especially when it comes to social justice issues and racism in America.
0: Indeed, I'm all about it. And uh, the fight's not over and it's not over when a few cops are properly (laughs) prosecuted. It doesn't change the losses and uh that's pretty amazing uh i love the show me the war video but before i talk about that with you uh yeah i i we're not out of any of these woods yet and you know nothing no single moment is going to end racism or change systematic injustice we need to work diligently all the time one of the first things i did when i moved down to the bay area i was living in california uh elsewhere for about five six months is i walked up the main strip in Oakland after everything had happened just in the aftermath um, you know, maybe six, eight, six to eight months after every, you know, while things were happening and and Uh people were like, don't go to Oakland. I'm like, what are you nuts? Like, of course I'm going to go to Oakland. Oakland rules. And like, and it's so rich and heavy with all things. How could Uh you not? And um, it's, it's pretty powerful. It's still, it's still a powerful place for a lot of reasons. And uh, I'm glad you made a home there. It does seem to be very welcoming to artists, and the artist types, uh, Mm -hmm. in the community.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, uh, dismantling white supremacy culture is there's like a lot of work to be done there. And I took it upon myself, you know, with a couple other people to, to dive into examining uh, white culture more and how white supremacy culture functions, how white people function in America and and in doing that, I started to realize like, hey, there is a place for people who are white to be able to 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 work on themselves, to work on each other, to and as an artist, I think art and music is can be effective in uh, sort of digesting things slowly over time. And uh, I also think that you know. I myself have been part of an art community that has been primarily white. Um, And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that, you know, I also want to talk about larger things, you know, macro issues and uh, implicate my art in, in a dialogue that is much larger than just me. And I think that that's something about white supremacy culture is that there tends to be uh, an element of individualism and kind of narcissism that we gravitate toward and are sort of indoctrinated by. And what I've aimed to do with my work is to, to talk about some larger macro political issues regarding women and feminism and that kind of thing, and also racism um, and larger so- social justice issues. Uh, so, you know, the, the pandemic was a kind of a fertile ground to be able to, to dive into some of that and the show me the war video along with the song, uh, highlights some of that personal experience, but then also, you know, reaching out to my friend whose daughter is in the video with all of her friends and they're all, you know, they're all from Oakland and, you know, they're part of the community. And, and yeah, I just really wanted to kind of depict Oakland and talk about femicide, social justice issues, what happened during the, the, the political uprising around George Floyd, the murder of George Floyd, and, um, really show the kind of the heart of Oakland and I, I think Bobby Cochran who did the video really captured that we had a lot of talks and a lot of back and forth about how we were going to go about that and I think he really did it beautifully and they the girls like choreographed a dance which was really cool that we were able to show in slow motion and yeah I just I've always aimed to kind of try and connect some big dots in my work and you know it's it's songwriter music at the heart of it. And I've never only wanted to just talk about me and my own feelings (laughs) in my work. So it's something I've always aspired to do. And I also aspired to try and do that with the song, Show Me the War, and also the video. I'm proud of it. And I'm also grateful that it didn't, in all honesty, didn't come out after the war in Ukraine started because I just... You know, obviously there were wars, there have been wars going on for years prior to that, but also just like the shift from the pandemic into that and the way that the the way that media has been sort of um, highlighting that war in particular. I was just like, okay, I'm glad it came out just right before that so that I could talk specifically about the major issues uh, that I talk about in that song and that it didn't all of a sudden become about the current war that's happening right now. Um, which is horrific and awful.
0: Definitely horrible. Um, thank you for sharing all that. We'll link the video in the description be- below. I think everybody should see it. Bravo to you and the crew and Bobby and everybody. It's, it's really powerful. So uh, mission accomplished. If, if that was what was intended, you, you did it. And, um, none of our other missions are accomplished though. I feel like the battle yeah. goes, on, goes on and on and it has to go on and on. I will say in my lifetime, the George Floyd protests were the longest prolonged you know political action of my lifetime and so I'm yeah. proud, I'm proud that it happened in my lifetime and I lived to see it uh, in mm-hmm. every city across the world all these things so you know I didn't want you know the the best thing would be for him to be here and and see and not have passed away but you know burly but you know, at least we have this action that will hopefully carry over and continue. I think it's it's still kind of going on, even though people want to quash it. The powers that be always the the big they, as I like to say. And mm-hmm. um, but yeah, the, you know, thank you for sharing. Not easy to do, not easy to do and also manage your own story. And, you know, we're all part of living history. This is a thing that's not lost on me as a person that commentates on art art's job is to hold up a mirror to the ugly things and say hey take don't look away take a look and uh it's important i appreciate you for that just to shift gears briefly over to a little more centered around the music uh you know you talked about your influences guiding you up to today i love the vocals on here i love your vocal work i went back to your other albums and checked out your other music i was like oh man this has been a, a thread for you so i don't know how you again maybe amalgamized is not a word, but how you you know, brought together all your influences, but you do have a very singular and original voice too.
1: Thank you. Um, yeah. I, I started doing more like choral vocals and things with the, that record. They moved in shadow altogether. Um, I recorded that record at tiny telephone in San Francisco and they had an echo chamber and I actually sang inside the echo chamber. Um and I sort of use that studio. It's an, primarily an analog studio. And I use the studio like an instrument, which I think is what uh, kind of how John Vanderslice designed the studio. Um, so that was a really cool experience. And um, we kept a lot of the vocals on there. We recorded to tape and then, you know, switched everything to digital. And that was kind of the beginning of exploring more vocal layering, uh, in terms of influences, yeah, I've always been, uh, influenced by sort of more ethereal and am- ambient kind of choir music. Um, I actually took some classical singing lessons for a couple of years. I was not very good at it. Um, <laughs> I think I've always just meant to be like on my own, you know, with my own voice. Um, but it did. It, kind of, it did inspire me to use my voice differently uh, as an instrument. And, uh, you know, I explored some classical music, some more Baroque stuff. Then with that album, went into the echo chamber. And um, so since then, I've, I've always been like, OK, I want to add other vocal vocal layers on my songs and harmonies and that kind of thing.
0: Nice. Very well done. As we wind this down, I want to give you back your evening off, hopefully. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I do appreciate you making the time for us. You're, yeah. on, you're on tour now. What's the fu- The immediate future looking like? You're in Europe for a little bit longer and then back home. Hopefully there'll be some local shows or touring as well. As well,
1: Yeah. So uh, I, our last show is on April 29th. And then I'm going to be going on a tour opening for the artist Ivor uh, in starting in July. And then that goes till August, July will be like July 23rd ish um to August 13th. Uh so yeah, I will be touring in the US and we're doing mostly a bit of the East Coast up to Canada and then we're going to cross over and do <clears throat> some dates in um uh, uh Minnesota I have to look at the thing again. I'm sorry. In the middle of a tour, I don't even know where I am. No. Um, Everybody the, on tour ever. Yeah, Boulder, Colorado, Then we're doing the <laughs> West coast down to LA. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's going to be great. Awesome. And then well, probably yes. some more dates in Europe after that, but yeah.
0: Nice. I'm glad you have a full schedule. I hope the world stays open. Keep being safe. Thank keep you. Keep being awesome. Thank you so much for this wonderful album and your wonderful body of work so far. And we're looking forward to more to come as well. We will link everything in the descriptions. Thank you so much for hanging out and sharing your story with Ghost Cult. I appreciate you.
1: Thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: This has been another episode of the Ghost Cult Magazine podcast. Check us out at
1: GhostCultMag.com and follow our socials at Ghost Cult Man. Until the next time. Peace.